Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. My name's Josh Miles. Today on Obsessed with Design, we catch up with Eric Cass from Funnel.tv. Eric describes himself as a branding guy, or in his own words, a fine commercial artisan. Eric unpacks how he looks at and obsesses over ephemera and really all of the ways that inspire and drive him to do better work and why he likes to refer to his company as a practice. You can get all of today's show notes on our website at obsessedshow.com. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at Obsessed Show and I'm at Josh Miles. And while you're at it, head on over to iTunes and subscribe to Obsessed Show. We'd love to have a rating from you and help other people find the show. So without further ado, Eric Cass. Eric Cass, thank you so much for joining us today on Obsessed with Design. Hey, Josh. Thanks. Great to be here. So just for our listeners to kind of level set, since we have talked to all kinds of different designers, even early in our podcast here, would you kind of tell the folks a little bit about who you are and what you do and kind of what your role is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm a designer. I do branding. Um, I tend to look at it a little differently. I use different words for that than a lot of people do, but essentially that's uh, what it comes down to. Um, My company is called Funnel, the fine commercial art practice of Eric Cass, and it's a really long-winded title, but um, it can be chopped down to just the funnel part. But basically, I came up with that because I like the, the idea of a conceptual name like Funnel, which to me is what this job is all about. Being an artist or a designer is kind of taking in um, everything and distilling it down to its essence to communicate it. And then the, the other part of the fine commercial art practice, I always kind of thought about you know, graphic design was the term that I was told in school that that's what I was going to be doing. And that uh, never really made sense to me. I, I, I didn't understand what that meant because um, graphics seemed really specific and design seemed uh, way too broad. Um, and so I thought, well, if I don't really understand what I do when I'm the one doing it, then how are other people going to really understand that? And so this kind of older term of commercial art made more sense to me. It's you know kind of a mid-century term um, that you know for me just makes sense because it's art for money. Um, it's also commercial <laughs> because it's used to sell things. Um, so that's, you know, that aspect. And I think, you know, anybody off the street can understand if you say I'm a commercial artist, they can go, Oh, I kind of have an idea what that means. Maybe not totally, but I kind of get that. And then, um, the practice part and having my own name in there, I always thought of also like fashion designers, like why does uh, Ralph Lauren get to have his name on all his stuff? He's, he's a designer, you know, he mm-hmm. just designs clothes instead of business cards. And then also I think accountability and ownership and all those things are very important to me for better or worse is having a name on it and attached to it. Um, and then the practice part, you know, I even thought of things like doctors and lawyers and, you know, why do they have, why is, why do they have practices? You know, mine's a practice. It's a journey. I'm always trying to get better, um, and change things and do things differently. It's, it's something that's, you know, an evolution. So to me that made sense too. So, you know, every, every word in there means something different to me and is hopefully kind of trying to look at what I do um, from a different angle and not only make me think about it differently, but also have other people kind of perceive it differently. I love how much that you have packed in even to just the, the name of your practice, as you call it. I think that that really just speaks volumes about how you approach the work and kind of how you think as a designer. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm constantly, you know, and I enjoy enjoy conversations like this too, and just talking with people, other people that are in the business too, and like, how do you do what you do, and why do you do it that way, and what works and doesn't work, and you know, to me, it's just it's something I love and I'm interested in still, even after you know all these years of of doing it. You know, I'm still kind of asking those questions, like, why do I do it this way, and why not this way, and what if I do it this way, or if I just try this, what would happen? You know, that kind of stuff. The process to me has always been really fascinating and interesting, and I think that idea of you know, again, always kind of evolving and changing. I think that keeps things interesting and keeps inspiration coming, hopefully, and keeps you out of getting in a rut is to just kind of always be never set, you know, just sort of asking questions. Eric, you've you've always struck me as somebody who has maybe always been a designer, just like it just seems so much a part of your person. You know, how did how did you get started in design and how did you decide that was something you wanted to pursue as uh, as a career yeah I think that's uh pretty interesting too because I you know I grew up in a small town on a farm and I went to a really small school and wasn't exposed to a whole lot of stuff but always just kind of had this feeling that you know I wasn't going to stay on the farm and be a farmer that I was going to go and do other things and but I didn't really know what that was and you know I really didn't even enjoy school that much in high school I really kind of hated it um because I didn't feel like it was you know, set up to be what I was really interested in and intrigued about. And I felt like I wanted to learn. I wanted to know things. It just wasn't necessarily uh, in the right direction for me. But um, after I graduated, I just thought, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I guess go to college. That sounds like a good idea. And, um, you know, I ended up finding a college that had a beautiful campus and it kind of spoke to me. And um, I thought that seems good. So once I went there, uh, they were pretty much like pick a major, you know, and so I was like, oh, you know, that's what I, I guess art. I like art. I'll do fine art. And then even then, I didn't really know a lot about design, but I thought, you know, that seems like something where you can take art and and put it to use and have it be practical and make a living doing it. So let's try that. So it was actually this sort of uh, just kind of by accident or just sort of falling into it in a way. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, yeah, cereal boxes. Those Someone designed those. Like I'd never really thought about that mm, before. Yeah that someone did all that stuff and that design is all around us every day um, and really shapes uh, our lives in so many ways. And I think for a lot of people that aren't in it, I don't think people think about it and maybe, maybe that's okay. And I, you know, I think more recently people are considering and thinking about it more, but, but at any rate, you know, I, so I got into fine art and did all of those things. And I, I started looking back and thinking, Oh wow, this has just always been part of my life. And I didn't really ever think about it. You know, I remember having uh, drawings put up on the, on the door in grade school, you know, I, I would draw peanuts, which Charles Schultz and peanuts is a huge inspiration for me. And there's a lot of reasons why for that. Now that I look back, cause that's another thing I do. Not only do I try to look forward and think about things differently, but I also do try to look back and think about how did I get here? You know, again, what led me to here and what inspiration has shaped who I am? And, you know, that was one is, uh, is Charles Schultz and the fact that he was an individual that personally drew all of the comic strips and everything that the Peanuts and Snoopy was ever about came from that one person sitting in his den in California, basically doing it. And um, it was very personal, but on a huge scale. So I always thought that was really awesome. Um, and the fact that it looked at comics differently and took it to a really intellectual level and not just a goofy level, but it talked about sadness as well as having jokes and being funny. So there's just a lot of things about that that really speak to me. 
but yeah, so so getting into to fine art was really great, and and um, oh, and then even just thinking about even in high school, like a, being on the basketball team, but then being with the cheerleaders, kind of drawing the thing that the basketball team ran through, and I didn't even think of that stuff when I was doing, it, but I thought back, <laughs> I was like, oh, that was weird, you know. I did illustrations for the yearbook staff, which was all girls again, you know, and I guess it was a great way to meet girls too. But uh, it seems like design is a really good life strategy in that regard. <laughs> yeah, well, that's and that's the point is I never thought about it, you know. It was just my life. It was just the way I was and the way it was built. And I think also growing up on a farm, even though that seems very different, that makes sense to me too. Because I think a lot of people, and there's no right or wrong in this, but with a lot of people, you have a home life and a life that you live, and then you have a job. And those are very separate. They're different lives almost. Mm -hmm. You quit one, you go to the other, you come back. They're very separate. And then if you do something like if you're a farmer, let's say, it's really not like that. You probably work with your family and with your wife and everything's really integrated. There's no clock when things go on and off. You have to do things whenever they need to be done. And um, it's just really fluid and it's a lifestyle. And, you know, I feel that way about what I do. I love I do this because it's a business, you know, of course, but I do it because I love it and because it's my life. And there's no separation between um, work and and just home life. It's all, all one thing. So, um, you know, I'm very lucky, I guess, that I kind of found my way to it pretty early on. Um, mm-hmm. although I've been figuring it out and trying to, you know, do better at it all, all these years. But, um, you know, I think it was sort of an accident, but I think it was kind of inevitable at the same time. And I've been watching all these things online of really famous people even talking about these same, same things of just following your heart, going with things, uh, not being afraid and just going where you're meant to be and what your purpose is. And, you know, I feel that way. I do feel like this is my best chance to uh, contribute to humanity and to culture and society. I, I think, you know, this is what I have to offer and what I'm good at. And I just want to be part of that dialogue and do the best I can. So. That's really cool. I mean, so for people who don't know, or maybe if we didn't mention this yet, Eric and I both live in Indianapolis. So, so you and I met maybe, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago at an AIGA event, I think. And, uh, what, what's always struck me about you is that, you know, I, I think you've always had this, uh, or at least my perception is you've always been so great at collecting ephemera and finding these design things and, um, just these pieces that inspire you and cataloging them and then keeping them in a way that you can go back and, and actually work through them and find inspiration in them later. So tell us a little bit about how, how that practice got started and, and kind of how that plays into your design process. Yeah, I think that again goes back to how I grew up, which that's what's kind of funny about this stuff. It's something that seems like not connected at all, but is totally connected to everything. And, you know, growing up on a farm, it was actually my great aunt and uncle's farm. So they were um, of that generation of being in World War II and, and things like that. So, you know, they, uh, that kind of uh, mid century stuff. And the farm was actually his father's farm. And so, for like a, and probably I don't even know if it went back further than that, but a few generations of family had lived on this farm. And, most farmers don't throw things away uh, at all, kind of. <laughs> so things just <laughs> accumulate over the decades. So there was an old barn filled with stuff. There was a place called the Orchard on the Hill, which is this grove of trees that had things just parked out there, you know, going back to like a, a horse-drawn road grader. Um, just all of this stuff, uh, mechanical things, physical things. There's, there were print things. There was, you know, there were file cabinets filled with documents and stuff like that. And, you know, again, I didn't really think of that as being weird. I just kind of grew up around all of that stuff and grew up around that history. And 
also with this generation that was from, you know, had their kind of time when they were young in the 50s, 60s, that kind of period, and didn't really think that much about it. But I think that really shaped my love for history and my interest in the aesthetic of things and how things evolve and change over time. And not only that, later on, as I've you know continued to try to educate myself on things, I've gotten into a lot of uh, Eastern philosophy and spiritual things. And for a long time, I would take pictures when I would travel. Someone would be taking a picture of like the ocean that was beautiful, and I'd be over here taking a picture of like signage in an alley that was kind of rusty and falling apart. And I thought that's kind of weird. Like, why? Why do I think that's beautiful? That to me, that's like really interesting and really beautiful. Um, and then I, I thought, well, I must be really unique and, and different, and and I'm totally not because uh, it's actually this thing called wabi-sabi that's thousands of years old that's a Japanese like ancient way of kind of philosophy, spirituality, way of living that's the appreciation of things in transition and of unconventional beauty. So a crack in the sidewalk or that sign that's rusty and falling apart. And the thing that I think that's interesting about that too is for me, when I see that, you're, you're capturing or you're seeing, and if you take a picture especially, you're capturing this one little moment. But all of this stuff happens on either side of that. So all of this weather and history and movement and things have happened over the years while that sign's been rusting. And all of that energy and all that stuff is in there somehow. So to me, there's a real depth to it. And um, that's all there, even though you're just seeing the surface at that one moment. And you know that, again, goes back to the farm where there were all these things just sort of rusting away into the ground and piled in the barn and all this stuff just doing that. And I think what that means when it comes to me doing work is I want to build that kind of stuff into the work that I create. So when I create a brand narrative, I want it to be a story that has that kind of depth, that it has some sense of where it's come from and then where it's going. And also um, just allowing the viewer to plug themselves into that experience. So it's not just about the aesthetic. It's not just the surface. It's not just the logo um, or the package that that they're looking at and experiencing. They're going to feel all of that energy and all of that story that is behind that, that's in that, and be able to plug themselves into it as well. So I think it's at a, it, that all that's a real core to what I do and how I do what I do. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I love how you talk about the beauty and the, and the cracks in the sidewalk or the ghost sign or, you know, whatever that, that old thing is rusting in the barn. And I feel like, you know, in the best way possible, I see that, that element in your work, you know, that I think you, you know, some of your pieces have these just beautiful layers and textures to them. And there's, there's just definitely this appreciation for, it doesn't feel like it's just a brand new thing that was stamped out onto, you know, a printing press. It feels like something that's got some, some history. And like you said, some story to it. Yeah. And I think that also puts in humanity and emotion and because imperfection, I think that's something, whether we want to admit it or not, we can all definitely relate to. Um, and is a very human quality. So, you know, something that has that, that it's, that it's well done, it's well crafted, but yet there's a part of it that's still a little rough around the edges and it's not totally perfect. I think that's accessible in a lot of ways. And, and it's not to say, and I, I've had this times when people have hired me to do something different where that's not really appropriate for the situation. And it's like, you know, I don't, I don't have to make everything grungy or something or whatever, you know, it's like <laughs> I can still do very clean design if that's what it makes sense. But for a lot of the things I do, a lot of the, the relationships I have with people and what's needed for the story, that it, it does make sense. And it does make it, I think, more accessible and more interesting um, and does give it that sense of, of life that it's been around. And I think, you know, that can be really important even for something that's new, like a new innovative product. If you can give it a little bit of like, oh, I haven't seen this before or heard of it, but it feels kind of familiar. I think, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, for me, and that's one thing that in the past I've talked about with people is, 
you know, they'll, they'll be like, oh, is that, you know, something about maybe doing a retro design? And I'm like, well, I don't do retro design because to me, retro design would be trying to just emulate something that had occurred previously and making it look like that. But what I feel like I do is I take inspiration from that and then take it somewhere new and make it contemporary at the same time. So it's, you know, it's inspired by everything around us and from things from the past, but it's talking about something new and saying something new and taking us to a new place. And I, I think that's a real good balance, you know, because I, I think it's, if you're going to be experiencing something different, you don't want it to be, in most of the cases with things that I'm doing, you don't want it to be super shocking and just like scare you away. You want it to feel, it's nice if it feels a little comfortable. And it's like, and I, and I also think we all just as human beings walking around in the world, we all have this sense of things, um, that have happened and occurred and that we've seen and we may not be able to verbalize it all it's kind of on an unconscious level but we all kind of know what things mean what like this kind of and i think a lot of this goes back to process and a lot of these things that are vintage or retro and feel is because they look that way because of the technology of how they were produced originally and i think some of that stuff is really important too to really understand technology and you know old technology like printing presses and things not necessarily digital technology but just the reason why things may have flat color or be two colors versus full color or whatever, just a real knowledge of how all of that stuff works and what that means to the aesthetic of a piece, I think is really crucial and critical. And again, not that everybody walking on the street knows all of that stuff, but they do get a sense of like, oh, I know what that feels like or whatever. But yeah, it's kind of hard to explain. <laughs> but Well, maybe that's a good segue. I understand that you've um, presented about your project for the lion distilling company a few times. And, and I have frankly never heard the story before, but I think the, the collection of, of the package design and uh, you know, this, the samples are just absolutely gorgeous. So I'm, I'm really curious to hear more about this for those of you listening. It's lion L Y O N distilling company. Yeah, that's a kind of an interesting one because I think the other thing that is happening now with uh, the, you know, the technology we have, the internet we have now is being able to, connect with people, you know, obviously all over the world anytime really easily. And it's, it's awesome because then you can find, you know, the right relationships, even when they're not right in your backyard, you can find the people to work with, you can find the products you want to buy everything. But the other side of that, that's kind of interesting is now we can see everything. Like we can see the whole world kind of simultaneously. And it wasn't like that before, you know, used to, you saw things in your neighborhood and around you and maybe at least regionally or something. Um, and you didn't realize you know, maybe somebody else was doing something similar someplace else because it kind of lived in its own little world. I, I kind of feel like there are all these little worlds. Like, and I think we even have this on a personal level. Like, all of us have family and friends, and we kind of create this little smaller world that's just ours. And then there's the kind of the bigger world. And I think that's the way things used to be more in general. Um, and now it's kind of not because the internet has allowed us access to the bigger world. So we all have the same same access to it. Mm -hmm. So I think with this, um, they're, you know, in St. Michael's, Maryland on the coast and it's a fishing kind of area village. And the guy that started it, whose last name is Lion, he also has, uh, you know, he told the story of tracing his family lineage back to the Mayflower, which I don't know, I don't have any of the <laughs> proof of that or anything, but that seemed to be the story. <laughs> Seems uh, legit. Yeah. So, so there was this sort of thing of, and that's when I talk to people, when I first start working with someone to brand their company and their product, I'll say, you know, Hey, we're going to talk about some weird stuff. Maybe I'm going to ask you some strange questions, some personal questions. We're really going to delve into every little thing. We're not just going to talk about the product. We're not just going to talk about your competitors. 
and those things. We will talk about that, but we're also going to, I'm going to ask you about your family, where you came from, how you got to where you are now, why you're doing this, like all these really Mm -hmm. personal questions. So, you know, for this, you know, when I'm, and that, and that helps me create what I was talking about before, that kind of depth of story and a brand. And so with them, when I heard about the story that had to do with the sea and the ocean and coming to America and then where they are, um, on the coast and then kind of fishing village feel of where they are. I was like, you know, that's what this should be about. And so coming up with the identity for this, you know, the idea of an anchor and, um, you know, and even lion, even though it's spelled differently, the idea of, um, you know, lion. And a lot of times when you think of a lion, it's like the Leo in, in astrology about being from the chest and the heart and from love. So, you know, the, the identity ended up being this kind of anchor with a heart and then with these kind of shafts of grain that tie back to the product. So, mm-hmm. you know, all these ideas have a real grounding in the story of what this actually is. It's authentically that. But you can go on Pinterest right now and, and you know, do a search for a logo like this and you'll get pages of them because it's in style right now because anchors and hearts and, and arrows and mm-hmm. all that stuff is very <laughs> the hipster style that's part of everything now. And and, you know, so there was some pushback on that. Well, can we really make it this? And I'm like, you know, I get it because that's annoying that that's in style right now, but it's not going to be in style forever. And this is authentically our story and the story we need to tell. And also, you know, you're going to sell this out of your neighborhood because also where they are on the coast, there's a lot of anchors and things, you know, because it makes sense. Um, but if you're selling this in Nebraska, now that's a different story. It's a new story. It's, it's more interesting maybe because it's coming from that place. It's telling that story. So I think that's something that's really kind of a challenge as a designer now is like, I don't want to do things that are trite. I don't want to do things that are appeal done, but I also realize I'm not going to do anything that's never been done before. And so how do you balance that? And also, I don't think you need to really. I mean, because a lot of the stuff, like I was talking about before, you're tying into things that people already know. So even though I want to create distinction for this brand and this product, and I want them to have a unique story, I also need to communicate to people in a way that they understand. So you know, the anchor, the heart, the arrows, the, the grain. I mean, what does that mean to somebody? And, you know, it, it works because they have seen it before, you know? So there's this real balance. Right. And I don't really have the answers to it all other than, hey, if we've got the story and it's real, let's do it and stick to it and not be worried that it's out there in other places. Let's just try to make it as ours as we can and own it as much as we can. And then typographically with the logo and stuff, I, I made that kind of feel like almost like the back of a boat, which is a more kind of newer, like a power boat, you know, the way that the name of the, the city of where it's from uh, or the harbor where it's from um, on the back. So again, it's got this feel that's sort of part old pirate tattoo and part kind of newer typography that would be on the back of a more contemporary boat. So again, trying to walk that line between the past and the present um, and pull it together. And then, you know, as the project rolled out, it's really interesting too with technology and the way things have went because, you know, I think uh, way back, like a hundred years ago, let's say every community had all of their own stuff pretty much. You know, like even from here in Indiana, where we're from, small towns around the state, they would make their own automobiles, make their own beer, mm-hmm. all their own stuff right there. And then at one point, technology changes, distribution changes, transportation changed so that, you know, all the beer was made in St. Louis and Milwaukee and all the cars were made in Detroit. And now that's sort of changed again because now this whole global thing that the Internet does and, and getting costs down on producing things and having distribution for free pretty much uh, the way you want it now – um, and it's kind of weird because it's a contradiction because it's local now because everyone can make their own products and their own things really inexpensively, but you have this way to get it out to the world. So it's kind of local, but not at the same time. So it's sort of gone back to the old days, but in this new way. So at any rate, all of this stuff is, is really exciting and it creates a lot of opportunities for branding and design. 
um, because people are popping up all over in, in different categories, creating creating their own products in their own area of the world. So I think that's why it's important, too, that the story told their particular story. But they are a small company. They are a startup. They don't have a ton of money. Um, so, you know, that's the thing with doing branding, too, and identity and package design. You know, they, they produce rum and whiskeys um, in very small quantities, small batch, so um, or bijou batch, which is what I decided to call it, um, which is a little different take <laughs> small batch. Always a sucker for alliteration. So, so there's anybody there's, who's read your website, I think, would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can get into that later too. That descriptor is kind of weird. That's like a funny, funny story in itself. But, but yeah. So the things that are considered with this is, you know, when I think of doing design or doing branding, I think, you know, I'm telling the story. I'm creating this narrative. I'm creating an experience for people. But there's a practical side too of how does it get produced? Um, how much does it cost? How does it? How do people perceive how it looks from that standpoint too? So. You know, with them, I, you know, their, their batches are so small and they're just learning and figuring it out too. And they're trying lots of things. So they're so small. Not only are their products changing, they might be doing a rum one day to a whiskey the next day to a kind of uh, something else the next day. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, uh, the proof and the alcohol volume even changes. So that nothing is consistent pretty much. So, you know, when you get things printed, as you know, when you, the larger quantity you print, the cheaper it is. And if you try to print small quantities of things, it's, you know, a lot more expensive. They don't have a lot of money. They're a small startup company. So for them, I designed this label that was one color that had all the branding information that didn't change as one thing that we could print a large quantity of and then did a much smaller label that had the product-specific information. And then even on that, there's holes for the alcohol volume and proof that could be rubber-stamped by hand. And so this made it so that things could affordably work but still look good. And even the rubber stamping, you know, some of you think, oh, that's kind of low-end. I mean, this is a high-end product still. It's small batch. It's mm-hmm. not inexpensive. It's crafted stuff. Um, but the rubber stamping, while it's practical and a good way to do this and imprint on it inexpensively, it also kind of just speaks back to the idea of it's being hand-produced and it's unique and interesting. And it has that kind of wabi-sabi aspect to it where it's imperfect, you know, once again. Um, so it's, you know, at once it's imperfect, but it's also very sophisticated and it makes sense. And that's where I think, you know, everything kind of comes together perfectly is when you, when you think through all of those things. So it's, you know, the story, the narrative you're telling, um, the practical applications of how is this going to work? How's it going to get produced? Understanding the processes that it takes to get something like this produced. Um, and then having that, checking that all back to the story. That's what I always do is create that first and check everything back and say, does this all make sense? Does it all work? And, you know, the other thing I think, especially food and beverage is, and really any business, but I think particularly with that, is it it does have to feel trusted too. So while you want things to feel new and innovative and different, and I haven't seen it before, you know, you want it to be safe. You want it to be, look suspect or something. So I think, Mm -hmm. you know, investing in branding and something that looks nice and it's well put together, um, it does feel like it could have been around, even though I haven't heard of it. I think that's really crucial too. Yeah. I mean, how do you make it say distilling without making it look like everything else, but also making it look like it fits in with the other things that are craft distilled beverages, you know? Yeah. So it's yeah. got to kind of fit with that vernacular and and yet have its own, its own little niche that it fills as well. Yeah. And even with this label, even though, like I was saying, it's one color, so it's inexpensive. I did spend a little extra money and do a die cut that made it distinctive and different. 
and it has this kind of feel of layering and that's going on and creates a visual interest and it sort of has again like this feel of like a pirate flag from a ship kind of a thing and you know the thing that's interesting about them too this is sort of just to get them going so now they're going people are recognizing the brand they know the brand they're selling they're, they're you know creating more revenue now I, I talked to them really early on even after this design was done you know later on once we do just a big batch of rum once you are doing larger maybe national distribution we need to revisit this we want to tell a deeper story just about the rum and mm-hmm. maybe we'll do bottles that have you know the logo in the glass and we'll do a specific label that has something speaking telling its own story so i think you know at that point you can do that because there'll be the money there to do it it'll make sense um, but for now, this has worked out really well because they've actually come back to me several times and I've made more labels and we're doing this kind of color coding now on the labels that also, again, ties back to like, uh, you know, ships and like the flags with the different colors that communicate things. So there's this color coding that works to help create each product, like make it pop and feel different and a little bit of a unique uh, typography treatment for each product. But the the basic concept of these very inexpensive to pr- produce in low quantity uh, runs has stayed the same and it's really working well and that way it also it just gives them a chance to experiment more and see what products are going to sell for them and what people are interested in um, that they may be able to do on a bigger scale down the road um, and we just did gift packs for the holidays and some smaller bottles and you know it's 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 just really fun and, and that's the thing I do too when I create brands is I think of it that way I think you know, once I'm working on the initial identity, initial brand, it's crafting every little detail of it. But it's at that time, even thinking about the big picture of how is this going to evolve? How's it going to change down the road? What does this need to be so that it that it can be fluid in that way? You know, I'm, I'm figuring things out. I'm putting together a system that's in place, but things change, especially with a startup. Things are really going to change and evolve. And, you know, I, I just always want to create something that has that ability to do that along with the, 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 uh, the business. I love that lion story and uh, just the the depth of it and all the details. And I have a feeling we could spend the rest of the call just talking about that. But um, just so we can learn a little bit more about you, I'd like to um, have you tell us about something that you've done. I mean, you've been published just scads of places and you've got um, work all over the world, which is awesome. But what would you say is your proudest moment as a designer? Oh, that's tough. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of funny because I think one thing that I've said that about before, and I don't know that I've even got it out there anywhere right now, but, you know, a few years ago, I kind of had this moment where I questioned what I was doing in general, like, why am I doing this and how do I do it? And I sort of just wanted to stop everything. And I thought, maybe I'll take a new direction, do something totally different. And I ended up putting together this book where I went through a bunch of stuff because I know you were asking before about inspiration and about kind of things that are around you and how that mm-hmm. comes back to your work. And, you know, I, I was feeling really frustrated and, and, but I, so I got all of my stuff out and kind of spread it out over this, in this huge room, um, like just things I'd kept magazines and bits and pieces of stuff from everywhere. And, just sort of really spontaneously went through everything and was like, oh, I have this magazine I've been keeping for years. Why do I have this? Oh, I just like this one thing in here. I didn't even realize that. Rip that out. Throw the magazine away um, or recycle the magazine. Uh, and uh, and so I, I did this like for about two days, just like went through all of this stuff, cutting and pasting really quickly. And I had a small sketchbook and I just started like spray mounting stuff in there, gluing it down into the pages and sort of doing these really – uh, just super spontaneous stream of conscious uh, spreads in this book. And all of a sudden it started like 
you know, because all the stuff was getting stuck in there, the book started kind of not wanting to close. And I was like, oh, no, it's not working. And then suddenly <laughs> I was like, oh, yes, this is awesome. And so as I kept going, the thing just kept getting fatter and fatter. And so it's this kind of little book that's really fat. And then I ended up putting these big, giant rubber bands around it um, that are thick. And they kind of, it has this real great tension to it. Like it's this book that's just going to burst open at any moment. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I didn't create anything in the book. It's all stuff from just all kinds of things, like from a, a flyer for a concert or, you know, from a, a national magazine to just small things, big things, weird things, like little things that were in packing for a crib or uh, like instructions, like all, just all kinds of things, things that have been really well designed stuff that's been not thought about at all that just happened to be accidentally really awesome design. Just a real combination of stuff. And that whole process and that book that came out of that was like so fast. Actually, when I got done, I was like, you know, I make all these things from scratch, essentially, a lot of times, but I'm really most proud of this thing because, and I don't even know if I can say why, but it was just the way it felt, um, the way it was documenting all of this, the way it was noticing all this, and how it gave me access to all of that stuff. And to me, that's like, I guess, because it was sort of expressing to me one of the keys that I think about design. And it isn't like sitting at the computer making a logo. It's not sitting at a sketchbook sketching a logo. It's about editing. It's about decision making. It's about knowing which things speak to people and speak to you and which things don't, which things you leave on the cutting room floor and which things you want to you want to go further and show people and, and keep things moving. So I think there was just a real it was really helpful for me to understand that, embrace that. And, you know, for me, the book was useful then. And then it was also useful because I could show it to other people and they could flip through it really easily and go, oh, this is awesome. And this is inspiring me in different ways. And, and it actually did get out there and it got published in some books of its own, you know, because other people saw the value in it and thought that it was really interesting and cool. And I think, it, I guess it just all goes back to what I was saying about that. I'm just always really into the process and really into the kind of just understanding of how and why we do what we do and how it works. And I mean, I love making a beautiful logo and I like looking at beautiful logos or whatever, but I'm really more interested in what goes into it. And I've sort of always been that way. I remember in college, even being in the art museum and seeing, you know, like a, a Degas painting um, that was of the ballerinas, which he's really well known for. And, but there was also sketches there. There was like a charcoal drawing of a study for that painting. Mm, cool. And I was always like, I'm way more interested in that. And again, I think it goes back to that idea of it's in progress still. It's process. It's the inspiration. And I just remember thinking, wow, he just made smudges for eyes. They're like literally just marks that you would never think of making to draw a face. And it makes a face because the negative space comes out. And it was just this thing of just utter beauty that was so... And I think there was also just something about it that when I, I, I kind of picture when he was doing that, it was, again, when you're just doing a study of something, maybe the pressure's off and you're just sort of doing it more loose and mm -hmm. not really too worried about it as to the place where you get to the end and you're making something that's going to be final, you know, there's that pressure and there's that thing of wanting to make everything perfect. And, you know, I, I think I really like that place where it's not like that. And, I, and so I think that's why I'm so about the process too, is that I try to try to embody that and so that I can create work that has that energy, even when it is done, when it's finished, essentially, is that it has that kind of energy built in, that it's still in progress, in a sense, if that makes sense. But, um, uh, and I, and I, I often say that, just like, I think it's a kind of more of a fine art idea of that you're making a painting, and you, and you do it, and then you don't know where it came from, it just kind of shows up there. I try to, I think I can do that with design, too. And I know design is supposed to be a lot more about um, you know, being really uh, conscious of what you're doing and making something that's very strategic in that sense. Um, but I think if you do your homework and you immerse yourself in it deeply enough um, and you know the story you're trying to tell enough, 
you can create something that does the same thing. And that happens with me on the stuff, the work that I've done that I like the best um, and feel the best about is like that. When I'm finished with it, I'm just like, I don't know who made that. I don't know where it came from. I was immersed in it so deeply. It just showed itself and it's the right thing. There it is. And um, that's how I know the process is working, you know, kind of a thing. So I feel like today it's, it's a really uh, hip or trendy thing as a designer to kind of have your own side projects or your own, your own personal thing going on. But, uh, you know, remember back to one of the first times I saw you use the funnel brand was on some uh, wrapping paper that you had created your own, your own line of wrapping paper. I'm curious if you're, if you're still doing anything with that or if there are any other side projects that you have going on right now. Yeah, well, that was really interesting because, you know, with a lot of these things, when you're working with startup companies and bringing new products to market, you know, you start to think, hey, why am I doing this for other people? Why don't I just do this for myself, you know, instead of someone else? I have ideas. I have things I'd like to do. So, um, you know, that was one part of it. And then the other part was I also wanted to experience it so that I could have a better understanding of what it takes to do it. And, yeah, I did do a line of gift paper. And, you know, I thought, well, I had I'd actually actually been designing some furniture before that and mm. made some stuff and thought, Oh, I'll do furniture. And then I thought, Oh man, that's going to be really hard. Like, how do you ship it? It's like super heavy. And they just seemed like immediately like too many problems. And I thought, you know, Hey, I know more about paper. I know more about print design. I'm going to stick with that. Mm-hmm. So I came up with this line of gift paper and yeah, designed all the patterns, designed the packaging, designed the website, wrote all the copy, tried to tell a deeper story. Like I said, where it wasn't just about, um, a pattern. It was more about where that pattern came from and what it meant. And the, the copy that I wrote on the packaging and on the site sort of, uh, you know, created that, that story and told that story. And it worked out pretty well. You know, it, it, people really liked it. It sold well online. It sold, uh, you know, I sold it retail online and wholesale, uh, through the site and on the East and West coast, it did pretty well. And, um, people were really into it. And then I also came up with a line of business cards that were, kind of stock designs or like themes. And this has been years ago now. I know there's a lot of this stuff now. There wasn't as much of it then. It's been, mm-hmm. God, it's probably been 10 years ago now or yeah. more. Um, and uh, I thought that was a really interesting idea because I would have people contact me and go, I just need a business card. I want it to be really nice, but I don't want to invest in a whole brand or whatever. So I thought, oh, this way I could give people that. So I designed like four themes for different kind of industries. Well, not really industries, but more kind of product-y things. And had that on the site for a while where people could pick their design and then I would put in their information and get it printed and get it back to them. Essentially, people really liked all of that stuff. It did really well, but I always sort of just had it on the back burner while I did my main business. And I was never able to keep it going because I, I just kept getting distracted by work doing everybody else's work instead of my own. So it, <laughs> I ended up just sort of stopping it. And um, But I really want to get back to that. And what I've tried to do is I'm bringing it back now in a way that's a, a, a little broader uh, and it'll probably still have gift paper and printed things like that at some point, but it's called ephemerotica and it plays off this idea of ephemera and it speaks to my collection that comes from the farm where I grew up, like I was talking about. And then just the, the old books that I find and buy when I travel and things that I see. And so basically what I'm doing now is just, you know, on this blog, I'm documenting that. I just want to share that collection, just like that book I was talking about, which by the way, ended up the, was I ended up calling the bulging book of ephemera because it was like this exploding book that was <laughs> all fat. So uh, so I've just sort of taken that idea to this bigger scale of the website where I can start to photograph my collection, share it with the world, and then eventually you know have a store that not only would sell kind of like have a thrift store aspect to it where it would sell one-off pieces. So things mm-hmm. that I've found that I think are really special that maybe you know people 
wherever it was aren't appreciating it. But if I put it on the site in this context of the brand and the audience who's going to be looking at it would think it's really awesome. Um, and then even get rid of some of my stuff. But then I also want to create new products. Like I was talking about before, things that are inspired by um, the past but are, but are new. And you know, I think it would be really awesome to work with a lot of the, the patrons that I have that I've branded. So one of the first ideas I had was to do um, soy, hand-poured soy candles. And they'd be in, and this stuff would all tie back conceptually to kind of print and design. So they would be these um, soy candles in kind of ink canisters um, little metal tins like ink comes in and I wanted to do scents that sort of tie into different aspects so there'd be like a, the citrus one would be like the press room one so like a, when you go on you know do a press check it has that certain smell to it um, and I thought it would be cool to like imprint type into the wax potentially and things like that and mm-hmm. just have it be this really really cool thing um, but I, I love the idea of that even of being able to design the experience down to the scent of being part of the concept um, and I think that's the other thing that's really awesome to be able to do. And I do that with a lot of the people I actually work with now. I'll, you know, work with them if it's a restaurant on what type of dishes they're, they're, uh, are on the menu and things like that. So it's always about telling that story in every possible way, creating that experience for people. So I think it'd be awesome to do that for myself and, and just do some things that I love um, that relate back to other people. I mean, you know, the liquor stuff is a little bit hard to do because of legal issues, but it'd be awesome to do like a sure. femorotica rum or something, you know, that's <laughs> print inspired somehow. I don't know. It just, whatever it may be, I think it would be cool. And I, I, I think that kind of, uh, you know, expression is, is really fun. Yeah. Well, I love how you just seem to find inspiration everywhere. I'm, curious if um if you have any particular design heroes or people that you kind of looked up to that inspired you in the directions that you've gone yeah yeah there's definitely there's definitely a lot of people one one thing for me i think that i've always tried to do is you know like i was saying before is i I definitely think about my particular field and of graphic design or commercial art and i've had people in that that have uh you know, really inspired me. And, you know, I'm kind of old. So like going back to Charles Anderson, which people that are young, mm-hmm. you know, he was probably now, but, uh, you know, he was one of the first, first people to sort of bring that kind of old stuff into a new place. And, you know, really spoke to me, I think when I was in school and college. And so I really liked him, but I think for me, I started really quickly. I had to kind of get away from looking at other people that do exactly what I do because, mm-hmm. It was too frustrating. I mean, even going to, like used to before the internet, going to the bookstore in the design section and look at design books and to get inspiration. I was never, I could never really do that because two things would happen. One, I might see stuff I really like and then I would just sort of emulate that and I wouldn't be doing what, I wouldn't be expressing myself and I wouldn't be doing what was right for what I was doing maybe even. I'd be just be trying to be like that thing I saw that I loved. And then also I would get kind of really angry, which every once in a while I would just because I would be challenged, you know, like, oh, this is such great work. I suck. I got to do better. And uh, which would be really frustrating. And I, I did need that. And so once in a while I would go get that when I needed that kind of challenge again to, to kind of kick me in the butt and get me going. But and now especially like it's hard because the Internet, it's like you can't almost get away from it. It's everywhere. Like go on Pinterest and there's all this amazing design and it's sort of disheartening sometimes. It's like there's already so much great stuff being done. How can I do anything that would actually um, be worth it, that would add to the dialogue? There's already so much amazing stuff. So it's really hard for me. But what I tended to do when I was shaping the company I have now was I looked at photographers and I thought – 
you know, I really like the way photographer, photographers, people hire them for themselves. They don't just hire you typically. They don't hire some company that has a bunch of photographers and they don't know who's going to shoot what. Here's, I need a photo. You guys go figure it out and shoot it. No, they hire. They would hire an individual, a person with a name, and that person would go as an artist and shoot the photo. And I thought, you know, that makes sense to me. I like that. I want, mm-hmm. to, I want people to hire me as an individual, as a person that has personal expression within the work that I'm going to be commissioned to do for them. So I thought I'm going to take that from photographers and use that. And then I thought about fashion designers. And I thought, again, like they're designers like we are. They just design with clothes. And there again, it's very personal. They can put their, not only can they put their name, attach their name to it, it becomes the thing that makes their brand a global brand is that yeah. the fact that it is, has that name on it, you know? And, and then I thought about musicians and with now with doing work all over the world, I thought, wouldn't it be awesome to travel and kind of go on tour and, and stop and see people along the way and maybe give speeches and kind of performances and things like that. And so I thought that that could be possible. And, you know, and then I think about interior designers and how, again, it's like a lot of that is not making things, but it's about bringing all the right things together to tell a story. It's like that thing, again, I was saying about editing and creating the right context um, and taking things out of one context and putting it in another and create and totally changing the meaning. So for me, I sort of look at all of those other disciplines, um, and especially music. Music's a huge inspiration for me, but I try to look at all of that stuff because there's enough. There's it's connected, but there's enough distance that I'm not. It's not frustrating. It is actual inspiration, um, and then you know, and, and fine art, of, of course, and and all of those things. And a lot of those things come back to you know things like Jackson Pollock, which to me, you know, I think they visually look interesting. But I'm with that. I'm really interested in the process again and the mm-hmm. idea of stream of conscious and kind of letting things happen and letting things go and also, you know, being able to do something really innovative within that. So yeah, there's just a lot of different things that speak to me in different ways that that help shape things. But I, I think for me that's the biggest thing is to not just look at other designers, but uh but everywhere else kind of. So cool. Well I, I would think that our listeners today have had a uh, more inspiration than they were expecting <laughs> today and are maybe inspired by all the ways that you're inspired. But um, I'm curious if maybe for the young listeners out there, if there's a particular piece of advice that you've received or maybe one that you'd like to give to other designers who are coming up in the field, what would that be? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's that, you know, it's like when I do talks like this or give presentations, you know, I'm, I'm talking about myself, I'm talking about my process my history, where I've come from and how I've gotten to this point and, you know, where I'm going and, and what works for me and what means things for me. And, you know, after I do these things, usually people will come up and they're excited and they're, but they're not excited to just be like, Oh, your, your stuff's great. They're like, Oh, this makes me excited. It makes me want to go do my things my way. And I always love that. Cause that's the point, you know, yeah, it's great. It's, it's not, and I, I think a lot of people, or at least in my past, there were a lot of people who tried to say like, Hey, here's how you do it. Do it the way I did it and you'll succeed. And I don't believe that at all. I think there's, you know, an infinite amount of ways to succeed and success even means something different for each person. So I don't even, you know, it's, there's so many variables. So I think, you know, for me, it's just about being, you know, true to your heart and authentic and passionate and doing something you love and working hard and just keeping moving. But I think that's the thing is to not worry about it too much, not think I have to do it like somebody else to do it the way you do it, but just find your own way, find what works for you. You know, and I, I think, you know, early on, I, I was kind of confused about that. I was like, oh, this company's had success. They're doing some stuff, but I can't do that. It doesn't make sense to me. And, you know, mm-hmm. I found that to be true with everything on down to fine art of making a painting. You know, there's super realistic paintings that are insanely amazing. And, you know, that's not my thing. And I can do painting that's more expressive. And if I just let me let myself do it the way I do it, 
And through my experience, I can do a decent painting. If I try to paint like somebody else, it turns out awful, you know, <laughs> so because <laughs> it's not me, it's not my thing. And I think that goes with kind of everything. Yeah. And I think, you know, this too, just looking and listening. And, and that's what I mean. It's like, do it your own way, but it's still about, you know, learning from everything. And I think even having bad jobs, I'll talk to people, that's when people you can claim out, oh, but I'm in this job and I hate it. It's not the way I want to do it. And I'm just like, okay, that makes sense. But just think that's shaping you and letting you know what you do want. So mm-hmm. having this experience where it's not the best, it's not what you like, it's pushing you in another direction, it's showing you the other side. And I'm sure you're still learning really amazing stuff that you wouldn't be learning any other way. And it's going to help motivate you to get to that other place. It's, it's like the negative space that, that's showing you, uh, you know, the actual, the actual picture that's creating the picture. So, um, I think it's just important to keep, keep that stuff in mind. This is great advice. Again, Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. Tell, um, our listeners where they can catch up with you online. If people want to kind of reach out or see more of your work, where's the best place for them to check it out? Yeah, really just uh, going to funnel.tv, F-U-N-N-E-L.tv. Um, that's my site. And there's links there to everything. There's there's a blog there, which uh, I document my travels on and inspiration and things like that. There's also a link to the Ephemeratica blog on there. And pretty much just Google any Google funnel or any of that stuff and you'll find it. But yeah, I'm all over all the social stuff. Uh, would appreciate uh, connecting with people and, you know, Twitter, Facebook, any of that stuff. But yeah. Perfect. Well, again, Eric, we'll uh, we'll link up to all that stuff in the show notes today in case you missed those links. But thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for being obsessed with design. <laughs> yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. It was really, uh, really a pleasure. All right. Episode seven is in the books. Thank you so much for joining us today for my chat with Eric Cass. Head on over to obsessedshow.com to get all of the links and notes and things that we talked about today. We'll have all of that in the show notes. Also, don't forget to visit iTunes and subscribe to The Obsessed Show and follow us on Twitter at Obsessed Show. And I'm at Josh Miles. Obsessed Show is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency located 13 floors above Monument Circle in the heart of downtown Indianapolis. Check us out online at milesherndon.com. And thank you so much to our friend, Cassie Joe for providing her song, Matchbox Girl, that you're hearing right now and at the intro of our podcast. We're going to be giving away a few of Cassie's CDs, so be sure and tweet at us this week at obsessedshow.com and say you want to be entered to win one of Cassie's EPs. Want to hear more interviews like this one? Tweet at Josh Miles and tell me who you think I should interview next. Catch you next week.